You're listening to episode 90 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. You guys heard of Mark No jokes Google? this week, guys. No jokes. No jokes. Um, I, I'm in mourning. So my mom and I um, have a really rocky relationship. Uh, specifically... Because she texts me things like, I'm going to read you this text if you if you don't mind. I know this is riveting audio and vi- visual uh, content, but bear with me. Sean, did we ask for Kale to dump his baggage on us? Shut, shut the, shut the fuck up. It is 3.45 on a Sunday morning. I need this. Uh, okay. Tuesday, 4.21 p.m. Almost a good time. My, my mother texts me. Iron Fist reminds me of you. Both of you are damn good looking. LOL, I'm watching Defenders. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I never thought about it, but you do remind me a lot of Danny Rand. That's a good point. What the f- What the fuck? I said, What? Gross. He's the worst character of that whole thing. And she said, LOL, but his looks and actions for some reason remind me of you. Oh, that's true. He is angsty. Oh, that's very interesting. She might be onto something. I she said, might be onto something. Ugh, that means I'm a whiny butthole. Well, you mm. said it first, not me. <laughs> she said, well, maybe. Uh. <laughs> and so I told, listen, I told my wife about this exchange, and she said, <laughs> what have I just been backstabbed by everyone I know has no one told me that I am Danny Rand Kale look over there for a second Sean let's sidebar real quick so I know Kale can't hear us but maybe we should have his mom on the show instead of him I'm so distressed right now you know what uh, I'd rather just get away from the whole family to be honest with you um, just Oh, we kill him. <laughs> Whoa. What? What? I don't know what I'm talking about. So yeah, yeah, we'll we'll just dump all of them. Good call. And here's the thing. I I think I would I think I would rather be a kung fu orphan. You know what? Because like it's just like if you're gonna treat me like that, why bother? Well, if the comics pals are to have a butthole, Kale is that butthole. Listen, here's the, this is the last thing I'll say. It's the worst, uh-huh. the worst part about this, by far. Okay. This isn't relevant at uh-huh. all to anything. Great. This, <laughs> this came out of nowhere. This bit <laughs> isn't even funny. Right. And it hit me like a truck. So let's go on with the show. Wow. I see it. It's a good comparison. You really, uh, <laughs> you really uh, hit a home run. Uh, so, now that we're out of that vortex, why don't I tell you guys <laughs> how you can find us? We are all over the internet. Uh, your first stop should be Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or your podcast hosting platform of choice where you can leave us a like or a star rating, uh, whatever it is, wherever you listen to us. Uh We are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. So you can hit us up there. And then, of course, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. 
And last but not least, we're on YouTube, where if you're checking this out on YouTube, you can leave us a like, drop us a comment, share the video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. Helps us out a ton, and it's free to do. So head over there and do that, even if you don't care about YouTube. Just a you know easy way to help us out. So with that, we're going to jump into the random question of the week. <clears throat> yes, that. Yeah. Uh, the random not, question of the week. We're not going to yell it or anything. You know, who would no. do that? Under no circumstance would right. any of us ever yell it. I guess I would be... Do you ahead. think he's actually yelling it? I it always sounds to it always seems like to me he's just like saying the random question of the week like I just did. Yeah, he's saying it in his normal tone of voice. That's the part that bothers me. It's not like he's it's not like he's leaning all the way back and he's having to talk loud like a normal person. So I guess I'd be remiss uh, if I didn't acknowledge the fact that uh, Marco and Pete are not here. Uh, word has it that if you go into a New York uh, back alley at around 3 a.m., you might find Marco. What he'll be doing, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean... But if you look listen, hard enough, you might find a undersized uh, <laughs> minority boy engaging in illicit activity. Let's part, part the kimono for a second. I'm worried about Marco. Why? I mean, because of the activities you just described. <laughs> Yeah, ever since he got that Mike Tyson face tattoo, he's never been the same. <laughs> and listen, I didn't want to say anything, right? Like, a Mike Tyson face tattoo? Mm-hmm. He got Mike Tyson's face tattooed on his face. Not like not like the cool Mike Tyson <laughs> face tattoo. No, it's just Mike Tyson's face on his face. It's a real weird tattoo, and I don't like it. So let me get into this question. <laughs> Uh huh. <laughs> so DC is moving forward with this idea of their Else Elseworlds movies. Pretty much, they haven't come up with a snazzy title yet, but it's it's that's the premise. In the comics, you know, you've got Superman, Red Sun, The Dark Knight Returns, stuff like that. That's not con- in continuity, right? All right. And, yeah. And uh, DC Films is going to be doing something very similar, so we know that. Drop Queen Phoenix is going to be playing the Joker in a sort of Elseworlds tale. We're going to talk about that more later on. Did you what say I wanted to Joaquin, do, Joaquin. I, I Joaquin, heard Dark, Joaquin I heard, Phoenix. I heard Darkwing. Darkwing <laughs> Phoenix. Do you mean Joaquin Phoenix? Is that how it's said? It's Joaquin? a soft yep. day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. He's got a cooler name than I knew. So Joaquin Phoenix is going to be playing the Joker. We're going to talk about that a little later. But for now, what I wanted to do is I want you to cast, to recast, the three main DC characters, so Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. I want you to recast them for uh, certain movies. So for Superman, I want you to cast Superman for Red Sun. Okay. For Batman, I want you to cast him for The Dark Knight Returns. And for Wonder Woman, I want you to cast her for Wonder Woman Earth One. Oh, interesting. Yeah, this is a really great question. A really great question scene. Oh, e- easy, Danny Rand. <laughs> All right, easy, Colin. <laughs> uh, right. I'm, I'm, I, I, I've got a couple ready. Okay. Uh, Peter Weller, who did him in the animated uh, adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns, should absolutely reprise his role as elderly Bruce Wayne because when I think of The Dark Knight Returns, the movie 
that comes to mind first is RoboCop. I think uh, the Bruce Tim crew got it right back in 2012 when they cast Peter Weller in that role. And in my mind, that is that is that version of Bruce Wayne to me. Uh, and he's got the he's got a good cadence and and vocal quality to boot. Um, I think the last time we saw him was the second Star Trek reboot movie. Uh, and then I, I've thought about this before, but I really like the idea of John Hamm as Red Sun Superman. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be really good, and I think there's a lot of room to play there. Uh, unfortunately, the first woman to come to mind for Wonder Woman Earth 1 was the person who I see when I look at Yannick Paquette's art, which is Sasha Gray. (laughs) Okay. But I don't want to see her play Wonder Woman in a movie. (laughs) So I have to think about this a little harder. But that was the first person that came to mind. I don't know. I think, uh, I actually think a, a WWE, you know, superstar woman would be great that's so not who even... sasha gray is <laughs> sasha gray does not work for the wwe and if you want to know who she is you should go oh, on google right now and type I, her name in i assume because it was someone i didn't know it was a wrestling <laughs> oh, i didn't no. I, I didn't have pete to to look at to confirm that whoops no please google her no i'm not gonna do that uh all right so who's your real answer then phil I have to think about this. Give me a little, a little bit of time. Popcorn kale. The only one I really, I th- that I, th- I think I really have for sure is, um, um, I would go for Batman in the Dark Knight Returns. I think I would go either Burt Reynolds or Tom Selleck. Um, and I specifically because Miller gives uh bruce a a giant like you know tom Selleck mustache um in the first part of batman return uh the dark knight returns that part's true though and it's tremendous and it's for me it's the picture of who that character is supposed to be Um, i like it yeah so like if you took burt reynolds uh you just have to kind of get the the sort of uh like cowboy cadence out of him that i feel like i've seen him with a couple of years uh that's my burnt reynolds laugh uh but yeah so uh, and for me I, both of those are interchangeable they're both mustache men so they're not the same man are they though it's not as easy as confusing you with Danny Rand. Fuck off. <laughs> it's never gonna die now, motherfucker. How about you, Sean? So, I'm gonna go with John Hamm on Superman. Yeah. I, think I think that's, uh, yeah, I think that's mine, too. I would even say, what's this fuck that's playing him now, Henry, Henry Cavill? I think he would be really good for that, too. But only if it meant... That's where everything was going. Beep, boop, boop, boop. Uh, hello, Warner Brothers. Yes, we all agree that John Hamm should play Superman and Red Sun Superman. What's that? Yes, we'll take money in a giant pit of gold. Back it on up to all of our houses. Thank you. Uh, guys, that was Warner Brothers. Uh, we're getting a lot of money for that because we came up with a great idea. 
How the hell are they going to get it to Kale? Yeah, sure. There's no shipping to New Zealand. Well, guess Kale's going to stay broke then. And it's so expensive. We're going to get his share. Man. Oh, great. Yeah. And keep Marco and uh, Pete out of it. Well, Marco's in the gutter somewhere. <laughs> oh, that's so fucked up. I love it. Uh, so, and then also for The Dark Knight Returns Batman, I want to see Michael Keaton. Um, oh. I just think he could oh, like really it. get that, that really angry version of Batman, that bitter, old, angry version. I think he could nail. But I think, I, I, I think we need a few more years, though. I think he's still a little too spry. But for some reason, when you were like describing Michael Keaton as a bitter, angry old man, I I, I pictured him as like a, a deplorable, a Trump supporter. That's just like goddamn millennials. I mean, listen, that's pretty much what that book is about. If Batman <laughs> were old, I could see him thinking that way. Not necessarily being a Trump supporter, but having those feelings, which is fine. Yeah. How about Wonder uh, Woman? You guys got one. Wonder Woman, I I really don't. I don't. I don't know. Um, I, I thought of one. I I have uh, Jamie Alexander who played Sif ooh, in the Thor movies. Great one. Great That's one. Great. Yeah. And I think she'd be really good at that Earth One Wonder Woman kind of uh, heavy on the diplomacy type of character. You're you're. Joke angle of of Sasha Gray has something to it. Oh, you um, looked her up? No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I can I I know what context clues are. Um, <laughs> one um, around 2011, I think there was a, a Wonder Woman TV show in in production with uh, Adrian Padalecki. Yeah, and. Yeah. After after seeing her as uh, Mockingbird in in Agents of Shield, I I think there is a a good case to be made for her as Wonder Woman, and then introducing that sexuality angle. Um, sans that shitty, terrible, god awful costume. Oh, so you don't want her to have a costume? Not that costume. Have you seen that monstrosity? I uh, I probably have. I just don't remember. It's, I was. It's uh, it's real bad. That was a thousand years ago. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I th- I think I think that would be a. Uh, she's a very strong actress, you know, and I think uh, I think she would uh, play that role really well. And she's sort of a uh, fresh enough. Uh, in like her career that I think doing that sort of um, origin story would fit and they could really do something with it, you know? What I fail to understand is the comparison between her and Sasha Gray. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely right, Phil. Kale, do you want to explain that one? (laughs) I, I did. I said the, the sexuality angle of Wonder Woman Earth One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, how did you go from her? How did you go from Sasha Gray to her? I. Well, well, where was the leap there? 
I, st- I said a word I said a word with the word sex in it like <laughs> what do you want alright well uh, thanks for uh, answering the question uh, let's, let's, let's discourage uh, the young ones out there from googling uh, Sasha Gray that said though please if you uh, if you would you could always send pictures and information about Sasha Gray to Kale at uh, Toto and Toe you son of a bitch. <laughs> if you want to send in a random question of the week, you can do so in all the aforementioned ways. And of course, the best way to get to us is by writing it at thecomicspals at gmail.com. So uh, let's hit our pals polls real quick before we dive into some reviews. Um, so this week from Kale and Phil, we've got Adventure Zone, the graphic novel. What's this? So the Adventure Zone is the hit Dungeons and Dragons uh, podcast done by the McElroy family. Um, it's Justin, Travis, and their uh, father, Clint McElroy, playing um, as their D&D characters under uh, their DM, Griffin, who's the youngest uh, brother. Um, they're, they do a podcast called My Brother, My Brother and Me. Um, they've you know really blown up recently. And part of that is because of the success of the, uh, the Adventure Zone. It's a really unique take on, uh, Dungeons and Dragons podcasting, uh, that's really story based, uh, as opposed to following every single rule all the time and, and really, uh, focusing on the minutiae of, uh, the game. And so what they have done is they, uh, have translated it into, um, uh, a graphic novel with, um, I believe her name's Car- Carrie Peach. Um, um, really great. She uh, she was at FlameCon last year. I believe she's going again. Um, but uh, yeah, so she's uh, drawing all this with the help of Clint, who is actually an old comic book writer. Um, he used to be a radio DJ, but he's done a lot of like ghost writing for, uh, and like punch up scripts for old, uh, films and, uh, old, you know, like B list, um, kids films and stuff like that. Avid comic book reader, avid collector. And, and, and he, he has done a few himself. Um, I'm very, very excited about this. Uh, the adventure zone, uh, sort of my, f- first real dive into Dungeons and Dragons and like what Dungeons and Dragons can be um and it's like all of the fun of it in one thing and I'm 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 just I'm very very excited to see that translated into uh, a graphic novel yeah you got the sweetest nice boys the McElroy brothers and their dad all parading in the first story arc of the Adventure Zone here there be Gerblins um, and this is when it was at its most goofy before it got a little more railed in by story and plot and, uh, actual characterization. Um, no, the Adventure Zone and, uh, in general, the McElroy brothers produce some of my favorite, uh, stuff on the internet in general, whether it's, uh, Monster Factory videos or anything they've, uh, that, uh, Juice and Griffin have done through Polygon. Uh, I'm really excited for this. They've been promoting this for about eight months or so. Uh, that first story arc of the Adventure Zone ended um, 
I guess about six months ago, um, that first, that first, uh, that first, uh, actual story, the, uh, Cam- campaign campaign. Yeah. Uh, no, this is absolutely, absolutely worth picking up. I'm really curious how they'll, uh, incorporate the goofs and gags. So, uh, yeah, this is a good one. Hopefully. Cool. Then, uh, Phil, you also chose the Lazarus contract. This is a rem- yeah. This is a reminder to me that like what this was something that started with DC Rebirth. Uh, when I saw Dan Abnett on the Teen Titans title, uh, I wanted to start reading it, and uh, this is the I believe second trade that they've done. Uh, the the kind of self contained Lazarus contract event they had. Um, and I heard mostly good things about it. Uh, this is a reminder to me to go pick up the first. Uh, volume in this one as well because uh like hale i'm mostly a trade waiter uh and being a fan of dan abnett's general writing uh this is something i was kind of anticipating so this is like a kick in the butt to finally actually pick this up and read it awesome yeah i've heard i've heard good things um i don't know i've actually never read anything oh interesting so oh man uh, I think you. I think you would like uh, Jeff Johns Titan stuff. Yeah, a lot. Jeff, the Jeff Johns stuff is very good. Oh, I'm sure I would. I, yeah, I'm. I gotta get up on Jeff Johns more. I haven't really read enough of his stuff. So, uh, and Dan Dan Abnett did uh, Titans Hunt, which was um, sort of the bridge between the New Fifty Two and uh, DC Rebirth. And I, if I'm not mistaken, and listen. I'll be damned for saying this, but I got it off a long box uh, recommendation. Oh, yeah, you've been damned. And it was good. You're really Uh, particular about your Titans, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very good uh, because it filled in, like, all of the gaps of the New 52 where, like, the Teen Titans should have been. And, uh, yeah, it was... uh, uh, very very good. So anything with Dan Dan Abnett um, on the Titans, I'm I'll at least give a chance. He's a very good writer and he's very good on team books as well, which is a uh, that's a specialized talent. There's a lot of authors who uh, struggle with team books, and that's one of his fortes, I'd say. So yeah, I'll definitely pick this up and give it a look at least. As for me, I chose Batman Fifty One. So, Batman 50, I talked about it last week. I was not overly impressed. Uh, I've since reread it and enjoyed it a little more, uh, especially with the exact way that it ends. I won't spoil anything, but pay attention to that last page. That's all I'll say. Uh, Hmm. And so, that really reinvigorated me on this series. Because now I can see, you know, uh, Tom King obviously is laying out where this book is going, and now I'm more interested. Um, and this new arc is going to be uh, Mr. Freeze-based. Uh, he's going to be making his return, and I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by seeing Tom King's take on Ooh. that character. There's a, there will be a good emotional connection there with Batman and Mr. Freeze, too. Yeah, that'll be, no! that'll be interesting. Yeah, and the cover is interesting too because if you if you've seen it, it's Batman actually attacking Mister Freeze, and normally on covers 
the hero is being pursued or attacked or threatened by the villain. So the fact that this cover kind of flips that, I'm really interested to see if that's if that is a piece of the story, maybe. Was the last time we saw Victor Freeze uh, the in between issues between Court of Owls and uh, uh, Death of the Family? You're asking if that was the last time we saw him. Yeah. Or was he in Forever Evil? Forever, man, Forever Evil was so long ago. Um, I well, I know, but so was those oh boy. in yeah, between yeah, yeah, issues. Yeah, actually, you're right. Um, I, wasn't he in, I feel like he was in All-Star All Batman, or whatever that, uh, yeah, extra, was yeah. that extra Batman series yeah. Snyder did. Oh, I didn't read those. I heard mixed things. I wasn't uh, very interested in those. Uh, I mean, I read them, but I didn't think they were good. Uh, but yeah. Was he in that? I'm fairly sure he did appear in that. I wasn't super hot in his last uh, in his appearance in the New Fifty Two, where they kind of uh, reimagined his origin, so that he like, so that Nora was like a figment of his imagination or whatever. That was stupid. Yeah. That was stupid. It, it completely sucks the air out of that character. If he's yeah. just if he's just crazy, then the sympathy that you have for him vanishes because. They're, all of Batman's villains are maniacs. So if exactly. he's just another one of those, then all right, who cares? Yeah, Sn- I don't like know a, what Snyder was thinking about with that. It was like a worse version of the the Heart of Ice TAS episode. Yeah. It's like, let's take this and make it uh, crazier. And make it shitty. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about... <laughs> Let's talk about something that wasn't shitty. Let's do let's do our reviews. Let's start with Amazing Spider-Man number one. Uh, this is Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley. Ryan Otley's debut book for Marvel. Uh, he's obviously coming off of a stellar run uh, on Invincible that he was doing for, I don't know, 15 years or something crazy like that. Uh, so everybody's been anticipating what this would be. And then, of course, this is Nick Spencer's first sort of real book since uh, Secret Empire. He's done, you know, little couple issues here or there of things, but this is his first ongoing since then. Um, so what do you guys think about this issue? I don't know how I felt about it. Uh, a lot of it felt like a lucid dream because it was like, it was like almost cartoonish in the way everything dogpiled on him in the middle, but it was also, I feel like, uh, emblematic of what, Spider-Man books are all about, which is dogpiling on Peter Parker. Right. Um, and I, it was clear where it was going, uh, especially when he's about to do that little conference about, obviously spoilers we for will. those of you who haven't read it. You know, we're, we're talking about something that just came out, so uh, you might want to skip ahead. And if you haven't read it, um, otherwise stick around if you don't care about spoilers or if you read it yourself. Um, when he's doing a press conference... Uh, about the uh, graduate thesis, and then it was like brand new day, yeah. right there, and it's like, oh, I know where this is going. Um, and it also was I uh, thought appropriate that Mysterio was uh, effectively the antagonist because, like I said, everything felt kind of lucid, like a dream, and that kind of fits in with his uh, mo a little bit. Uh, of course, the big thing from this issue is the ending. Uh, which was, I thought, kind of ironic, uh, considering what just happened in Man of Steel, number one. Right, yeah. Man of Steel, they separate yeah. the 
the husband and wife in here looks like they're kind of bringing them back together. That's what you're uh, implying? Yeah, so to make uh, Superman more relatable, like Spider-Man, <laughs> we took away his family. Uh, so I don't know what... I don't know what Spencer or Notley are thinking. I don't. I can't relate to Spider Man anymore. Well, and I would also I would also point out this uh, sort of, and we don't know anything about him yet. So I I'm willing to give him the benefit of a doubt, same as I did uh, Robot Zutron. But <clears throat> this you know this sort of generic trench coat scarf guy, centipede scarf guy, um, you know. Sort of a uh, uh, generic, eyeless, hooded, animal-themed Spider-Man villain. Uh, The connection to Mysterio for that is um, interesting. Tenuous. Um, Yeah, I'm interested to see how that goes. Um, I have have a theory of where this is all going to go. Well, what is it? Yeah, it's a theory. I think... think Everything involving Peter Parker in this first bit, or at the very least, everything involving especially Mary Jane, is going to be um, a, a mind game, either by Mysterio or by this guy. Uh, maybe. And I think, uh, yeah, it's it, it feels like an easy pull, but it's, I mean, it's decent. I'm not sure where this is going to go yet. Uh, it can go any direction. Uh, some of the dialogue, this is what I mean by feeling like kind of dreamlike, is when he's fighting with this this, this cast of Avengers and Marvel heroes, uh, Johnny Storm delivers a Star Wars line at him where he says in reference to Daredevil that he doesn't like you and to Spider-Man and that he doesn't like him either, which is that famous scene at the bar with Luke Skywalker in the original Star Wars film. And I was like, that's a very bendest thing to say, but also like, I feel like it was self-aware and like it felt like I said the whole thing felt kind of lucid to me. Uh, that said, uh, Otley's art reminded me a lot of uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Mark Bagley, Bagwell. Yeah, Mark Bagley. Ba- Bagley. Yeah. Bagley. Yeah, from Ultimate Spider-Man, and right down to Peter Parker's haircut. And I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, um, so I, I, I enjoyed this issue. I thought it was pretty good overall. Um, I tend not to like the cartoony, like you said, the cartoony, hey, everything that could go wrong is going wrong right now. Uh, I, I tend not to be a big fan of that. It, it, it works okay, especially because he pulls from uh, the Superior Spider-Man era of you know, um, um, Otto really did, you know, did write this thesis and he would have cheated, you know, and he would have, you know, that, that all makes, that all makes sense to me. He did, he did, yeah. you know, I, like I get that. And I like that, that Peter's paying for that in a way. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of convenience in the way that he ends up getting caught, but what are you going to do? Um, when Aunt May expressed her disappointment, in Peter for this, I felt bad. And, uh, so in that way, Nick succeeded. Uh, it was cool to see Mysterio again. I haven't seen Mysterio in a really long time. So I like that pull. 
And hopefully this isn't the last time we see him, and I get the vibe that it won't be. Having the the full cast of Avengers appear in the very first issue, I don't really care for that. Uh, again, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I want to see Peter by himself in the, you know, in the thick of things, not so much interested in the guest guest spots. I get the point. He's the outcast of the superhero community, but that's one of those things where that, in conjunction with the Daily Bugle thing, it's been done to death. You know, we we know already that Spider Man is that, but this is Nick Spencer's Spider Man, and I guess he's putting his stamp on it. Was similar to Bendis. Uh, we talked about that in the first issue of Man of Steel, where ev- everything felt like treaded ground, but it was Bendis's take on that. And so it's hard to criticize Nick Spencer too harshly for something that most writers do when they come onto a book. Uh, the thing that I think warrants the most conversation, uh, aside from the art, which I want to uh, step into in a minute, is the involvement of Mary Jane. Obviously, people have their opinions about One More Day and what that did to their relationship. Um this book doesn't erase that, right? I've seen a lot of commentary online prior to me reading the book suggesting that this book walks back one more day. And maybe I am not reading it the way everybody else is. Maybe I missed something, but if I'm correct, it's absolutely not doing that. Because if you've read anything other than One More Day since it, since that event, then you know that both Peter and Mary Jane are aware of what happened or not aware of what happened, there's a version of what happened that exists in reality that they're aware of. And that version is just that um, Peter missed their wedding to be Spider-Man and that that caused the disillusion or of, of their relationship. It dissolved based on that. They ended it. That's what happened in reality. So I guess I don't really know what people are referring to when they say that this walks back one more day. What did you? How did you guys read everything that happens between them? It, it, I think walking back. When someone says walking back, maybe in the sense that uh, they're getting back together. They've, but, tr- they've tried to date. Yeah, but this looks like they're actually going to be together. There was that long two-page monologue, effectively. I mean, I mean, unless Kale's theory is right, and that's like a big rug pull out. I yeah, and I I really think that's what it will be, um, because they're also teasing. You know, I've seen some of the um, uh, teaser arts and ads and stuff for for uh, for this new era of Peter Parker in it expressly talks about you know new love interests and i like i said i i i do really think this is going to be uh i think it's all going to be a dream and i think that's what that opening uh, salvo of of peter you know and mj on you know the the empire state building as a callback to callback to um matt fractions uh spider-man annual um, I think that's going to symbolize what this whole thing has been. Well, t- to your point, I think it's really interesting that, you know, that 
that two-page opening ends with him waking up from a dream. So Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention regarding that is that it seems to me, you know, 10 years later, uh, 11 years later, after uh, One More Day, that Peter and Mary Jane can't get back together. That they can try, but that it will never work due to Mephisto's curse. So, they, like, we've, I've seen this before. I've seen them try, and then it fails very quickly, because I don't think they're allowed to be together. So unless they're going to, like, retcon that, then Kale must be right. Or maybe next issue, you know, Mary Jane will come to her senses and plonk Pete on the head, or something like that. Either way, I don't see this lasting. I think this is a way to bring people in, get people talking, but I think Kale's right. You know, they're they're not gonna go with this. It was it was strange though, because the whole issue is about how Peter's getting fucked in the butt and now oh there's finally something going right. Right. So is it just gonna be everything goes wrong? Maybe. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty Spider Man. I think I think that's Spider Man. Yeah. It's everything is back to basics and for Spider Man back to basics is everything is going wrong and oh, maybe I have a chance with this girlfriend, ah, but I'm gonna fuck it up. Um, one other thing we didn't mention, and maybe this is the most important part of the issue, Wilson Fisk was elected to the mayor of New York. And of course, in our time, Wilson Fisk is president of the United States. Homie, where you been? I mean... He's been mayor for a while. Oh, whatever. I haven't read Spider-Man in a while. And it wasn't yeah. even Spider-Man. Yeah, well, yeah, it's 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 a it's a general like Marvel universe thing, but we we know uh, you don't read Marvel. It's okay. Uh, I read it sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh He has the vision to guide New York into the future. So. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um. So the other important piece was Ryan Otley's art. You guys commented on it a little bit. Uh, I was mostly uh, into it. I thought that there were some weird things. In his art, in particular, yeah. his his mouths make me feel weird for some reason. I don't know. The way he draws mouths bother, bothers me. Um, <laughs> I also wish that he had devi- – his panels are, are super standard. Um, his, his layouts are very standard. I wish that he had deviated and gone a little crazy, but he never really does. The coolest stuff uh, happens at the very end of the book. In what appears to be like a sort of almost an after credit scene type thing, and I'm not sure that's him. Is that him? Do we know the the stuff with uh, uh, Mysterio? Yeah, uh, specifically the stuff with Mysterio in the after credit scene is Humberto Ramos. Yeah, there you go. So that stuff, panel wise, looks the best of the whole book, and I I thought Ryan played it real safe. Um, and then I also thought the Avengers didn't look so great. Some of them did, like Thor looks fine, um, but others, like Black Widow, uh, aren't as great. So, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't overly enthused. I wasn't. It wasn't a knockout for me. This this issue from Otley, yeah. but it it was good. So okay. For me, I think the biggest problem I had with the art was actually Nick Spencer. Um, Explain. Well, okay. If I'm right, and all this is a dream, then 
the vision showing up in his original appearance uniform and not the new stuff is you know some form of trickery as well as the black cat showing up out of nowhere as he's you know coming up with his final idea for me and that's you know that's sort of tangential to my point but there's man we we talked a lot about bendis being mimi there's so many words on these pages like yeah i thought that too it's wordy as fuck a general like a general sort of un you know there's no there's no real rules on comic book scripts right but like a general like tip is to keep word balloons around 20 words i picked one at random and it happened to be the one uh uh, where peter and mj are are talking in the cafe or whatever and there was like 40 words in one balloon sure and that's it's very wordy. every panel on almost every page um and peter's thought boxes are huge and i can't and that's that's the thing that is is sort of stressing me out about this is that like i can't tell if he's if spencer is reaching for um sort of the the feel of the 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 sort of movie theme that mysterio lends uh, lends himself to um in the after credit scene we get mysterio sort of very quickly explaining his origin and and doing you know that whole thing and he talks about how he wrote the perfect script but people turned it down for me i like i can i i felt it felt very movie like you know and peter was like oh well here i am bet you're wondering how i got here and then like he had uh uh, spencer had uh uh, robbie robertson of the of the daily bugle go uh hey peter you're a real fuck up but i like you hell blank 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 it's like could you be a little more cliche? Um, so, yeah. Um, basically, there are a lot of fucking words in this comic book where pictures are supposed to be. And I, for me, that hampered a lot of Ryan Otley's art. Um, that said, I, I like a lot of it. I agree with Sean. Um, there were quite a few things that are weird but i have also read quite a bit of invincible so it's not a huge deal to me <clears throat> i wasn't pumped about this book but i am interested to see where it goes with the addition of this new generic hooded insect villain <laughs> so the the generic villain is what really is selling you on this book i, then. I guess we got to give him a name now too and we'll have well, to see we'll have to see yeah. what his forgettable name will be. Yeah and, yeah, and if he's a bad character. If he's a bad character, then we can shit on him. But if he's a good character, you know, we gotta give him a break. We'll still okay. shit on him. No, well, all right. <laughs> uh so right. let's let's quickly talk uh Phil and I about Superman number one. Kale really didn't care about this book, and that's understandable after what we just 
put ourselves through with Man of Steel. Uh, so, Phil, what do you think, man? So, Sean, let's recap just a quick sec here to give us a little context. Man of Steel 1 through 6, what was your general thoughts real quick? My general thoughts were that it was uneven. I thought the first three issues were all right. I think three ish. Yeah. I think they, they probably got worse uh, progressively. So one was I th- I thought one was great. I thought two was pretty good. I thought three was solid, and then four was bad. Five was bad, and six was okay. Um, yeah, that's pretty much yeah. where I landed. And I think that it it showcased what Bendis can do well when he's on when he's on. But it showcased the Bendis that we've got more recently, which is just over overwrought, too many jokes, bad jokes, and not really caring about what creators have done. Before he got on the book and kind of shuffling that all away to do what he feels like doing. So, yeah. Issue one, pretty good. Issue two, decent. And then it, uh, you know, it falls off. And by, you know, issue five, it's a train wreck. And six was a little bit of a recovery, but not much. Superman number one. I honestly thought it was pretty okay. I thought it was pretty decent. I don't know what the hell happened at the end of Man of Steel for that six-week series. But this was decent. That that voice that we were complimenting in Man of Steel number one, I thought had made a return. And I thought there was actually a sense of focus here. Um, I thought a big problem with Man of Steel was that it became very unfocused and everything just it was like it was like reminiscent of trying to read something that's blurry and foggy. Like there's just no you can't make things out. In the sense that it doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense anymore. Um, there's things that you can criticize. Uh, Bendis stuff, like uh, Lois and John are still separated from Clark. And that was something that people were criticizing him from the get-go for. Um, and you can criticize Bendis for doing a little bit of... Uh, for messing with the status quo too much. Uh, once again, spoilers. Kale, I don't know if you care about spoilers for this. I do not. I didn't think so. I didn't think so. Uh, he moves the uh, Fortress of Solitude to the Bermuda Triangle. And that might ruffle some feathers that people are like, ah, he's just doing whatever the fuck he wants. But honestly, like that felt pretty Superman to me. And it's been done before. It yeah. He moved it to some, uh, uh, I think he moved it to the Amazon when I was, when I first started reading yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Superman. Superman did, not Bendis, but <laughs> where did he? Anyway, um, there's a lot of really good dialogue here. I thought, like his interactions with the Martian Manhunter, particularly, and I liked that it gets it keeps getting interrupted with, by him having to do Superman stuff. Yeah, I think the the this book does a great job at sort of building its theme, whatever the theme is going to be for the rest of this series, which seems to be isolation. Superman as an isolated figure. Uh, Superman as the lone survivor of an eradication, you know, a holocaust of, of a people. Um, and you can see that in the way that he moves the Fortress of Solitude. You can see it in his conversation with Martian Manhunter, in the, you know, the flashback sequences where he's talking to his wife, talking to his son, and then they disappear. Um, I thought that was all well done and it wasn't overt enough that it felt, you know, hammered on. 
it, 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 you know, I thought Bendis played it appropriately. Uh, the conversation with Martian Manhunter was really good, I thought. Uh, especially when Martian Manhunter tells Superman, hey, you know, Earth is going to be a part of this galactic conversation soon, and, and we're going to need an ambassador. Earth is going to need someone to sort of lead that talk. And you're the you're the man for the job. You should take the reins and do the right thing. And Superman's kind of like take, and that right there for me was was the moment where I was like, oh, that's good stuff because Superman would never do that. And Martian Manhunter walks his language back because he realizes that that he's talking to someone who would be so uncomfortable with that much power that the words he used he had already lost the conversation. And then from that moment on, Superman no longer wants to even talk to him. And I really enjoyed that. And there's no, we don't see Ragu. We don't see anything. There's no villain presence, nothing like that. Um, it's really just focused squarely on Superman. And I thought in, in that Bendis told a great story. And there's just one more thing I wanted to say, which is that if you have a problem with Bendis taking John and Lois away from Superman, then you need to get over it if you're going to continue to read this book because that's what writers do. And Bendis is not the only one. He's not going to be the last one. That's what happens. You come in, you have a story you want to tell, and sometimes that means removing key players from the equation, and that's what he's doing. You don't have to like it. I don't necessarily like the idea of Lois not being involved. I love Lois. I don't care about John, but I love Lois. Um, <laughs> but that's the story he's telling. And I don't, I'm not enthused, but I'm going to let him tell his story if I'm going to continue to read it. And on top of that, I know she'll be back. So it's not the end of the world. If you're going to stick with the book, get over that. I had uh, two thoughts. Um, one storytelling device I liked in this issue <clears throat> was, the. I mentioned it, but like I, I kind of wanted to uh, expand upon that thought. As the very beginning of the issue is is Superman looking for Lois and John in the in the nether region, regions of space, and he inadvertently stops an invasion of Earth by just running into them. And there's something that I think should be said about uh, Superman stories is that he is bogging him down in <clears throat> normal superhero stuff. Is uh, it, it feels a little. It feels a little trite with him, but having him just like constantly solve what would normally be <clears throat> large scale problems very quickly that feels very Superman. And for him to actually have to focus on when he has a conflict, when he has to actually like focus on it, it'll feel more like oh this this is something that warrants a lot of Superman's time. So I thought that was really interesting. And then just a, a joke. Uh, the DC editors thought the best way of making Superman more relatable to its readers is by making him lonely and on his own, <laughs> sitting in his apartment. That describes me to a T. There you go. I, I, after hearing all that, I, and I am very surprised by uh, your reactions to it based on what I read of Man of Steel. I Exactly. Yeah, I, from... Well, yeah, maybe three on. I hated Man of Steel. It was um, terrible. I am curious, and I and I mean, and I mean this in no disrespectful way. Um, 
but I, I, I would be curious to know when this was written um, in terms of like his big like health scare. Um, you know, for those of you who, who don't remember, he, I think it was last year, he he went through this this real big health scare where uh, he all of a sudden was um, posting on social media that he was uh, he had been in the hospital and he I think I I feel like it was a glaucoma issue um, with his eyes and it was really really serious and uh, um, he basically almost died like three times or something um, but I, I I do feel like I recall him him saying at some point that. Uh, there were times where he uh, was alone in his hospital room and he you know he had his uh, bandages on his eyes and he um, was just alone and so I, I would be curious to know if this sort of came after that whole thing and because he he did say that um, he felt very focused you know both on on life and 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 making work um, so I, I would be interested to hear about that if if that was uh, a factor in in this. Yeah, because although, I mean I was trying to figure out why uh, Man of Steel would be so bad toward the end, yet the first issue of Man of Steel and the first issue of this being so decent. Yeah, the the other thing I wanted to comment on, of course, is the art, uh, Ivan Reese. Uh, I think he did a fantastic job with this. I think this book is really, really good looking. Um, the problem that I have with the book has nothing to do with the art or the writing. It is the paper. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the fact that DC was switching to a different kind of paper stock because of the costs of producing the Walmart issues. And that take that took place or that took effect with the release of Catwoman number one. So now all DC's books are like this, and it sucks. It absolutely sucks. It, it I don't care what anybody says. It changes the way the books look and feel. One hundred percent. It's not the same. And when you when you touch them, you can feel it. But also when you look at the colors, you can tell that they're different. And some people might actually prefer this. Uh, I could see that. Uh, I don't. And when you look at the the um, the way that some of the ads look that are unaffected, they're so much nicer. The way that the the pop of the colors, uh, it's just different now. And you know, take it or leave it. Like I said, some people might like this. I don't. So. Uh, well, I didn't read it on paper, so I don't yeah. know. Will this uh, push you toward digital at all, or no? It might push me towards dropping some DC books, though. There you go. Yeah, I I was about to read the Flash, and I felt the pages, and I and I looked at the pages, the first page, and I just put it down. I, and I wow. love the Flash. I'll still read it because I bought it, but I I don't like it. It's just not what I want. Listen here, Dan DiDio. That's one complaint. Yeah, right. Um, but if, I mean, if, I mean, an old media rule, if it's one, it's at least a thousand. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's how it works. So let's, uh, let's jump into the news. Um, Marvel has found a director for the Black Widow film. 
Uh, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not this was happening, a lot of rumors, a lot of speculation. Um, and Marvel has not really made an official announcement about the movie other than to say, yeah, we want to do it, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But behind the scenes, they've definitely been uh, looking around, trying to find somebody, and they uh, have. They found the director, Kate Shortland, to make this movie. Uh, so Hollywood Reporter... Uh, has broken the news. Um, she was named as the front runner uh, a few days ago, um, but she's signed on now, and she's the first solo director of a Marvel superhero film. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, or I should say of a female-led superhero film. Um, Anna Bowden is co-directing Captain Marvel, so... She's the first director, period, but not she's not on her own. So, um, and of course, Scarlett Johansson is coming back to play uh, Black Widow. So, Shortland was picked out of seventy directors total that they that they looked at, and according to reports, uh, Scarlett Johansson preferred her most because of a film that she made called Lore. Uh, and Scarlett Johansson really enjoyed the way that she handled the female lead character in that movie. Um, uh, so, oh, that's fine. I don't know Kate Shortland. I've not seen any of the movies that she has made. Uh, I've been reading a little bit about how people feel about this, and there's a lot of mixed takes. Um, some people feel that her movies don't lend her well enough to this. Uh, others feel she's not big enough. There were bigger choices. Uh, but the most prevalent opinion is that this movie is simply coming too late, uh, especially given the way that people feel about Scarlett Johansson of late. How do you guys feel about this announcement in conjunction with everything else? That's the that's the angle I lean more toward, and I know Pete's going to swear and, and bust my chops later about this because we've talked about it. Um, ad nauseum and uh, you know in our own threads and stuff but I just uh, I'm very tired of Scarlett Johansson um, uh, she's she's a good actress she's I you know I would even say there are roles that she's phenomenal and I, I, I do I do really think she's a talented actress but I just like I don't care about Black Widow. Um, somehow she's become the the weakest Avenger to me. Um, and yeah, this for me, this movie is just, it's too late. What about Jeremy Renner? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Somehow Damn. Black Widow has become the least relevant Avenger for me. There you go. Um, yeah, this movie's too late. There are more exciting things on the horizon. Um, and I just like I would, I would prefer to see Black Widow go the way of the rest of the old guard that are going, and just to say goodbye. Yeah, I've been I've been kind of outspoken about how I think Scarlett Johansson. As a weak, weak cog in in the Marvel films, uh, I don't think she's particularly engaging. 
or interesting. And maybe that's because they don't write her to be that way. Um, I think Charlotte Johansson's a fine actress. Uh, I think her role in Lost in Translation, for instance, is a great performance. Uh, and she's been in countless other great films as well. Um, but it, it, to me, I always felt like it was just a payday for her, uh, these Marvel films. Um, as for a Black Widow movie, I know there are a lot of people who are, are excited for it. And for those people, I'm happy for. Because these are people who have been waiting for a movie like this for probably like seven years, right? Um... And it took them a long time just to make a female-led superhero movie in, in, in Disneyland anyway. Obviously, Captain Marvel's coming out next year. Um, next April, I think. Um, but this, you know, a lot of people don't feel the way I do. And a lot of people really like uh, Scarlett Johansson's performance and portrayal of uh, the Black Widow. And there's that. And obviously, the big thing with Scarlett Johansson right now is um, she was recently cast to play someone that was uh, trans. Um, a trans male, I believe, and uh, that received a lot of backlash. And since then, I believe she stepped down from the role in the midst of the backlash. Uh, but she, uh, she, her, her street cred isn't the highest right now in the midst of this news. And like Kale said, or Sean alluded to, a movie like this feels you know five years too late. So it's a weird intersection of being at the worst possible time. So I, I, I think. Um I think that Scarlett Johansson is getting uh, the short end of the stick here in the sense that there's probably a really, really good Black Widow movie that could be made. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Red Sparrow is not a good movie, but it happened. And it just (laughs) happened. And it it, it is a Black Widow movie, pretty much. Um, The Jennifer Lawrence film. And... um, if you take that same premise and you put Black Scarlett Johansson in it and it's a Marvel movie, you got it. So why couldn't they have made this movie eight years ago? Uh, I didn't want it eight years ago. I think eight years ago would have sucked, to be honest with you. And I'm glad they didn't do it. Because if you look at the movies that Marvel was making eight years ago, they're very safe. And I don't think that they would have allowed a Black Widow movie to have the emotional depth that it needed to have to be good because that character isn't just a jokester uh, and you can't just surround her with comedians and expect gold. She doesn't work like that. I don't think Uh, I also think the way they introduced her into the Marvel cinematic universe did her no favors at all. They introduced her as a femme fatale in Iron Man two, who was, um, uh, you know, basically doing the job of watching Tony Stark for Nick Fury. Uh, And it didn't allude to any kind of interesting backstory or make her a super compelling character. And I don't think that Avengers by uh, Joss Whedon uh, accelerated her into a great place necessarily either. I like her in the movie, but the difference between the comic book version of Black Widow and the film version is staggering. Uh, In terms of how compelling she is. Uh, so that aside, to make the movie now in 20... I mean, it's going to come out in like 2020 or something like that. To make it at that point when Captain Marvel has already come out and Avengers Infinity War has already wrapped up 
uh, feels like that feels like a phase two movie coming out in phase four. That's that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. This would have been the perfect sort of Doctor Strange era film, like when they were stretching out and sort of expanding their repertoire. Yeah. Uh, and as far as the hate that Scarlett Johansson gets, we don't need to get into the you know the stuff about her playing a trans person in a movie, but um. I think it's pretty messed up to say that this was just a payday for her. She's been outspoken in saying she wanted them to give her more to do with the Black Widow character, and they haven't, and that's their fault, not hers. I think if if they gave her more to do, we could get more out of her. But I believe that she is a good actress, and that if the role required her to give more range, she would. I'm not saying that this specific movie was a payday, rather like doing Avengers and stuff like that felt they felt like payday roles for her. I could see her getting something out of this character on a solo film because there's like actual there's a chance for character development and growth. But in an ensemble film where she gets a few quips or whatever, like there's not much meat to chew on. Right, again, which again is not her doing, you know. Right, right, right. There's definitely a way to make her more compelling in those movies they just don't. Yeah. Kale? One of the... Um, I can't remember if I... I can't remember if I read this as a quote from Ryan Reynolds or if I read it somewhere as like a secondhand thing, but somewhere um, I read that one of the big reasons that uh, Ryan Reynolds and, and Scarlett Johansson uh, got divorced was um, just as both of their careers were kind of starting to really take off, um, she got super competitive, um, and just like uh, she started like, I get I I guess just like really grinding and really like getting really shitty about how many roles and stuff he was getting, um, and. I don't know. Like, there's there's a part of me that's like, oh, yeah, that that fucking sucks. But also, it's you know, and this this is a credit to Pete uh, because he 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 has pointed this out. You know, women in Hollywood get a very shitty end of the stick. You know, they uh, after a certain age, you're either a mom or you know uh, uh, an evil witch. And this, and I, I, you know, I, coming from a, a white man uh, who has no theatrical experience, but this is, you know, a problem across all spectrums of acting. You know, it's either you're um, a femme fatale, a mom, or, you know, a witch, and then a grandmother, and then uh, hopefully, and then you die. So yeah, uh, yeah so so yeah, so just like you know, I I I can sort of see where Phil's going, but I, I I do also see an argument to be made of like she's just trying to get the most out of it that she can, and I I I think that yeah she she uh, was short shrifted from uh, you know a Black Widow movie when it would have been good. Do you think her choosing a role like Lucy was because she didn't get a movie uh, a Black Widow movie? Um, no, 
I don't think that that's why she did it. Um, I, I think Scarlet's been in a place for the last, whatever, eight years, where she's been trying to take on roles that are different than what she does in the uh, Avengers movies. Um, and even though that was just an action movie, there was nuance to it and, and, and ways that made it different than her Black Widow role. Um, and I think that's why she did the Ghost in the Shell movie. And I think that's why she signed on for this other movie that she just dropped out of. Uh, and I think that doing generic action movies is cool. And she's definitely a badass for that. But I love the fact that she tries to do other things as well. Uh, whether it's a miss or a hit doesn't matter as much as the fact that she went for it. Black Widow could be that, though. Uh, in the sense that, look, we're going to get the movie. So whether or not it's 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 timely or not is irrelevant. They're making it. So it could be very good is the point I'm trying to make. It could be really, really, really good. And who knows? Maybe they find a way to make it something that matters in 2020. Moving right along. Umbrella Academy is coming back. Uh, Fucking been... finally. Yes, yes. God. <laughs> uh, this fall, in fact, we will get the continuation of the Umbrella Academy story. Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba will reunite uh, to work with Dark Horse once again uh, to tell the story. Um Umbrella Academy is a sort of X-Men-y type book that's extremely dark. Um, follows a group of ch former child superheroes. Um, and now I'm reading from the EW, the Entertainment Weekly article. Uh, brought together by their adopted father, Sir Reginald Hargreaves, to save the world from such menaces as a zombie robot version of Gustav Eiffel and a living rampaging Lincoln Memorial statue. Uh, so it's been since 2008 that we haven't seen them and they're reuniting for Hotel Oblivion, which is the name of this next, uh, series. Um, and then they've got a little bit of detail as far as where we'll find these characters when the story picks up. Uh, so it says by the time Hotel Oblivion opens, they're more divided than ever. The gorilla bodied space boy is lumbering around Tokyo while his former flame rumor copes with the wreckage of her first marriage. Uh, Kraken is once again on a mission of his own, while number five, that enig enigmatic time traveler stuck in a child's body, works as a hired gun. Vanya, who almost destroyed the world as the white violin, is still coping from her wounds, and apparently their insufferable brother, Seance, who can talk to dead people and once came back from death himself because not even God or the devil wanted him around, doesn't even show up until the second issue. I'm pretty excited. At this point, I just want it to come out. <laughs> it's been, it's just been, it's been so long. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm excited, but I, at this point, I, I just want it to come out. Just please, sweet mercy, give me anything. This is like, this is high up on the list of things I need to finish. I, I started to, um, I almost said Doom Patrol, which is what <laughs> I think, which is what I think Gerard Way was uh, going for when he published Umbrella Academy. He's a huge disciple of Morrison, and there's a lot of very uh, Doom Patrol elements of that in that book, from what I've gathered. Uh, and now that it's coming back, I think it's as good of a time as any to actually go back and finish reading Umbrella Academy. Um, I think Gerard Way is a really capable and 
interesting writer, in a, and I mean that in the best way. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, the Umbrella Academy is one of the very first books that I read that wasn't Marvel or DC, and it, I thought it was weird as hell. I read it because it was uh, Gerard Way, and I knew him from My Chemical Romance, so I wanted to give it a chance. And it's bugged out, but I loved it. Yeah. So I haven't yeah. read it since it was published, but I'm definitely going to go back, open those old issues, read them, and then jump on this. So uh, Robert Kirkman, who is on fire right now, uh, he's got a Walking Dead comic and television show. Oblivion Song's doing really well. Skybound is... Got a first look deal with Amazon. So there's a lot of great things going on in the world of Robert Kirkman, uh, who is now such a badass in comics that he has become uh, the Beyonce of comics in the sense that he has dropped or is dropping, I should say, his newest book, uh, Die, 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 alongside uh, Scott Gimple from Walking Dead, who was a showrunner for uh, The Walking Dead for a while. He's dropping that next week or actually is it already out uh it's kind of a confusing thing because i think i think it is because i think the in the episode of the long box that was just released i think they review it so i think it was yeah this past week yeah it's weird because midtown comics is the store i go to and they're soliciting it for next week so they and i i was just there and i didn't see it so they don't have it um but i guess it's maybe it's available digitally or something um, but that's unprecedented in comics. You know, no one drops a book without months and months of solicitation. So for Kirkman to do this, it's pretty unprecedented and it's kind of cool. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know if you guys have had the chance to see what this book looks like. Um, but it's, it's nice. Uh, it is, it is a very, very pretty book. Um, and it's it's the art's done by Chris Burnham, who who did uh, Batman. He's a super super talent, um, and uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend you pull pull up the previews here from the article that I linked and check out the art because it is super nice. Uh, Phil, uh, I believe Burnham worked on um, Batman and Robin, right? Uh, it was I think it might have been Batman and Robin. I it was also Batman Incorporated. After Batman Incorporated, I think, definitely did Batman Incorporated. I think it was after Quietly. It, yeah, and he he's fantastic. Very very good. Yeah. So the book is described as a blood soaked, no holds barred, action packed, irreverent story, uh, and the plot concerns a secret cabal within the U.S. government that uses a series of targeted assassinations to covertly stop evildoers. So. I'm not too enthused about that concept necessarily, but the art alone is enough to maybe get get me in the door for issue one. It sounds like a Mark Millar book. Yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah. the uh, The first issue is uh, available digitally. It's uh, three ninety nine on Comixology. Cool. Yeah, so, I, I mean, not much to say here. I really wanted to bring it up just because of the unique way that Kirkman was launching this book. Very interesting. A similar thing to Beyonce, I don't think anyone else would be able to do this. I don't even think Marvel or DC could do this. Nah, because the way nah, the way they work, they need that yeah. that machine. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll be curious to see how this pays off. I think give, given that it's Kirkman and that it's such a surprise and it's the first time it's happening, uh, I think it will probably be big. But I would I would be surprised to see something else like this happen. It's a gamble for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Beyonce is a much more right... Obviously, when you're comparing the perhaps the most famous pop musician in the world to um, a comic book writer, it's very much apples and origins. But um, I don't think Robert Kirkman is even the Beyonce of comic books. He's obviously very well-renowned and, and, and well-known. I would say he's definitely in the top three most recognizable authors in the industry, maybe, right now. But... I don't know if he's got enough star power to be able just to sell a book without any kind of uh, publicity behind it going in. Outside of, you know, uh, uh, clickbait the week of. The comparison was more based on the fact that Beyonce did this. I know she did that, but my point is she was able to succeed in doing that because she's Beyonce. One of the most iconic and world-renowned pop stars period, where I don't think Robert Kirkman is that in the comic book world necessarily. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, man, I don't know, man. I think the way this is getting publicity, um, there's a lot of people who really love what he does. For sure. And the fact that it's available digitally first, that's a big deal. I could see people... I mean, they did an interview with IGN um, Kirkman and Gimple did a video interview talking about this book and promoting it. I think that the push behind this for it only having, you know, a few days notice has been really well done. I'm going to be interested to see what the numbers are on this book. Okay. I can see it doing well. And the margin for success in comics is not that high right. anyways, right? So right. Like, well, and, and especially at Image, you know, not to discredit what they do at all, but like it's a very different scale when you're, you know, talking about Marvel and DC. Yeah. I could see this book doing 50,000, 80,000. Perhaps. I don't see why I could, not. Yeah, I could see it. Combined I could, digital. I'd put, yeah, I'd even push it to 100. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this, this begs the question, who is the Beyonce of comics? Huh. Um, I, in my mind, I go to three people. I go to Grant Morrison, I go to uh, Jeff Johns, and I go to Bendis. I was thinking Bendis. I don't think it would be Bendis. All right. Bendis is more like the share of comics. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. I I could see Grant Morrison. I could see Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison... He's like the prince of comics. Oof, see, yeah, that's a good one. I, w- I always compare him. I always liken him to like David Bowie. He's got that kind of flair and yeah, and yeah, Prince also with that yeah. just weird energy. Yeah, uh, I you I could, I think Jeff Johns then might be the best example because he is working in sort of a mainstream, um, uh, version of the. Of the industry, he's like the Jay Z though. I no, I don't think so. I think he because he's he's good. 
What? Whoa! <laughs> hey, listen. Jay Z's not good. That's uh, no. That's not what I'm saying. I don't know oh, anything about Jay Z. I'm just saying that Jeff Johns is good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so moving along, we've got some news about the Why the Last Man television series that's upcoming. Uh, so rumors are that it's going to start shooting uh, in August at some point. But we've got casting news for the series. Um, so, excuse me, because I've not read this. So I'm going to say some names, and they're not going to have any meaning to me, really. Uh, but I'm assuming you guys have, right? Well, one of them will be... I've uh, only read a little bit. Yeah, I've only read a little bit. Okay, cool. Uh, so we'll all be in the dark together. Great. Uh, so Barry Kogan, uh, or Cohen, something like that. From Dunkirk, uh, will oh yeah yeah will play Yorick Brown, who is the last human male left alive after a, a plague wipes out all men. That's what Y is about, basically. So he's, he's the Y. Play, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's funny because in Dunkirk he plays a boy that gets hit in the head and dies pretty quickly. Well, that's what Y the Last Man is all about. So all right, it works there out. Typecasting. Uh, so Diane Lane will play Yorick's mother, Jennifer Brown, who was a senator, uh, and is you know dealing with the fallout of this plague that kill, kills all men. Um, that's the one I thought was really interesting. Diane Lane, that's kind of a big pull. Yeah, I'm really happy that she's on this. That gives it uh, more clout Some, for me. Yeah, a little more credibility. Yeah. Uh, Imogen Poots will play Hero Brown, uh, Yorick's sister, an EMT Poots. nurse. I think she was in uh, oh, Anton Yelkin's final movie, The Green Something. I, I think she was opposite him. She was like his, you know, the not the ingenue, but kind of the the other survivor of this of the stuff that happens in the movie. I think. Uh, Lashana Lynch. The Green Room. That's the one. Lashana Sorry. Lynch is, is actually going to play Agent 355, uh, a Secret Service agent who comes into contact with Yorick. She's actually in Captain Marvel as well. So that's oh, interesting. Cool. Uh, and then last but not least, Marin Ireland will play Nora, the President's aide. So... Normally, you know, we don't have a ton to say about casting stuff. Uh, I just, I guess, I just kind of wanted to gauge where you guys are at with this series. Do you care? It's going to air on FX. I mean, FX. Uh, we we kind of talked about this before, but F- FX is the sh- the channel that uh, airs Legion, and I mean, Marco keeps pushing me and pushing me to watch that show, um, and says he can't stop singing its praises from the gutter he's in right now. Um, so, I mean, if there's an, didn't FX just do the um, the Americans? Yeah. Show? yeah, and that was supposed to be very good as well. Yeah, um, they also do uh, an offshoot X Men thing. I can't recall what oh, the, the name gifted. of it is. Well, okay. that's on Fox. Is it? I thought it was on FX. I'm almost positive the gifted is on Fox. Okay, I don't. Well, live. Legion is the offshoot X Men thing on. On FX. No, but, Legion um, Legion is an X Men thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, give oh, it is too. Yeah. It's a they are it's an X it takes place in the X Men universe. Right. So. Alright. 
Anyway, uh, I mean, my my point is FX has been able to produce really well, um, well produced programs, and there's no there's no reason to believe that they can't make um, a very interesting or capable adaptation of Why the Last Man. Um, I mean, I'm bad at watching TV shows, but if, if, if Marco says it's good from the gutter, I mean, I'll eventually have to check it out. I, you would really love Legion for real. Like you need to, yeah, yeah, you need to jump on that. Um, yeah. FX I see is kind of the poor man's HBO. Um, I think, uh, yeah, they do a lot, even their like smaller stuff is like, uh, the league and uh always sunny well it's always sunny in philadelphia yeah i don't i don't watch always sunny but i love the league um it, all that is gold um the shield from back in the day was also really good yeah oh so, yeah that yeah. was fx and with with uh such a well crafted uh story and a, a well executed premise um that already exists I can't imagine that they would go wrong with this. So I, 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 it's, it's, it's good to finally see Brian K. Vaughn step up into, you know, sort of the next level. Yeah. And this is one of the most celebrated comic book properties of all time. And I think it's some would argue overdue to get this. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it landed somewhere where you can trust in the quality that it's not, yeah. you know, TBS, right? Or 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 Very even funny. Fox proper, like regular yeah. Fox, you know? Yeah, yeah. Cable is definitely where this belongs. Premium cable. Uh, so over in the DC neck of the woods, they've announced that G Willow Wilson is going to be writing Wonder Woman. Uh, so. That's going to be taking place this fall. Obviously, she's the creator of Miss Marvel, uh, Kamala Khan, uh, which she is currently writing, and apparently will continue to write um, when she makes the jump over to DC to write Wonder Woman. She had the following to say on her switch, I'm delighted to be writing such an iconic character as Wonder Woman and to be working with DC once again. With more than 75 years of history, Wonder Woman has a wealth of backstory and drama to draw from, and I look forward to putting a spin on Diana and her supporting cast that's both new yet familiar. It'll be a challenge to do her justice, but I like a challenge and can't wait to start. Uh, the, art, the art will be done by Carrie Nord, and her debut issue, or arc rather, will be The Just War, and it will see Wonder Woman heading to Eastern Europe to help Steve Trevor, whose unit has gone missing, only, only for her to run into Ares, the god of war, whose strange interest in the situation raises a number of questions for Wonder Woman, especially the fate of her homeland, Themyscira. It's very intriguing. Um, obviously, she created maybe the most successful new character of the last 15 years. Um, and there's a lot of people who really, really like Miss Marvel. Like, her, her run on it, I mean. It's really um, good. And Wonder Woman is a challenging character in a lot of ways to write because uh, a lot of people come in and they kind of do their own version of her and there's not really um, a single interpretation of Wonder Woman, I guess. Uh, there's been a myriad of just good runs of the character that seem to go underrated, I guess, uh, whether it's George Perez or... or um, 
Remender or um, um, no, um, who am I thinking of? Greg Rucka, thank you. And before him, um, who did New Fifty Two? That was uh, Azarello. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, but to that fact, it's a challenge. Yeah, it is a challenge, and and I don't necessarily know that anyone has succeeded in making an iconic Wonder Woman. Everyone's like a lot of people are very close. Yeah, yeah, uh, and obviously people have runs that they're very partial toward, but for whatever reason, the war in the wider comic book zeitgeist, it just it doesn't reach that threshold of being like uh, being the quintessential run for whatever reason. I, I'm of the mind that that's probably never going to happen. Because, you think so? Yeah, because. I think that the conversation around the character has been the same for so long that we're never going to, there's never going to be a run that people are going to go, yeah, that's Wonder Woman. Because I don't think Wonder Woman is that character. I don't think, you, you like, with with Superman, with Batman, you can kind of nail them down and go, this is what they are, you know? And with Wonder Woman, she's so nuanced and they've played her so many different ways that it's very hard to say this is what she is. Uh, Greg Rucka's run, his second run, does a great job of exemplifying that very fact because there's so many different things that have been done with the character that don't go together that it's impossible to parse out what's real and what isn't in in her world. And that's sort of what that run was about. Um, And... With like with Superman, his origin is plain. He is from a planet that everyone died. Planet blows up. He's a lone survivor. Crash lands on Earth. Humans grab him. They raise him. He's a hero. And 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 you know most heroes have that sort of Jericho origin. With Wonder Woman, was she made of clay or was she was it uh, was she birthed? Is Zeus her father? You know, they're like there's so there's all these questions about her origin that make it hard. Because peop- the average person doesn't know her origin, you know? And whatever they think is right is probably right in some version. And uh, so I think because of that, we'll never get the definitive run because it's too hard to do that at this point. I would argue, though, that G. Willow Wilson, if she doesn't nail it, she might be pr- she might be the person to make it pretty fucking close. Um she you know she's uh, a woman she's a woman first of all i mean i know gail simone has spent some time on her and 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 meredith finch i've heard wasn't her stuff wasn't you know uh critically acclaimed but i have heard it's decent um and i i don't know if other women have written wonder woman i believe there have been but um she uh, g willow wilson you know, is a woman who has created, uh, successfully created a, a character that has taken off and, and sort of gained a life of her own in all sorts of media. And she comes from a background that is different from just about every other uh, creator that has come across Wonder Woman. So I think I think that that in itself will lend, if not to something close to definitive at least at the very least 
very interesting. Hopefully. There's a lot of potential here, for sure. Oh, I think it's going to be great. I think I'm a big fan of G. Willow Wilson based on what she's done with Miss Marvel. Um, and I think that this run is going to, she's going to knock it out of the park. Uh, I think it's funny because the villain is Ares and Ares is like always the villain. Uh-huh. Um, but whatever. Uh, I I just, uh, I don't know what the right approach with Wonder Woman. But also, yeah, also I think, you know, with the movies and, you know, uh, Wonder Woman 2 coming out, you've got Steve, yeah, people have Steve Trevor, you know, on the brain. It's That's going to be the, the gateway arc. And hopefully she'll, you know, stick around to do something really unique. Yeah, yeah. And and, and it's fine that she's using Ares. Like, Greg Rucka's run starts with yeah, Ares and Steve for Trevor. For sure. You know, um, but I'm I'm all in. There's nothing, no reason, no hesitation to not read this, uh, for sure. I just wonder if this means that she's going to be leaving Marvel. I mean, I know she's going to keep writing Miss Marvel, but that may not last. We don't know. She's been doing it a long time. Yeah, yeah, really long time. Uh, so, moving right along to our last bit of news here. Uh Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin. Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin. Darkwing. Uh, Darkwing Phoenix. That's my favorite version. I like that a lot. I think that's very good. He's officially set to play the Joker in the Todd Phillips-led uh, origin movie, Elseworlds movie that they're that they're working on. Uh it's it's not the same version as Jared Leto's Joker, probably. Which one is Scorsese doing? Uh, I don't know if he's actually involved anymore, but this oh. is the one that he was rumored to be involved in. Oh, that's what I thought. Boy, that'd be that'd be so fucking interesting. A Martin Scorsese, Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. Holy well, shit! Scorsese was just attached as a producer, so. You know, it's hard to say how big his role, if he's still involved, will actually be. Fuck, I could see that movie now, too. So, I'll let you finish reading your news here, but yeah. I, I have thoughts. So, it's being described, the movie is, as an exploration of a man disregarded by society that is not only a gritty character study, but also a broader cautionary tale. And... uh they're saying that it's meant to be different than other comic book superhero movies. Oh, I wonder how. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like it sounds like the description of people who try and paint like school shooters as sympathetic. Oh, well, you shouldn't have bullied him. Holy shit! That he was killed elite. everybody, but you shouldn't have bullied wow. him. <laughs> it's your fault. He turned into a homicidal maniac. <laughs> You shouldn't have bullied him. <laughs> Why didn't the girls just date him? That took a fucking leap. I what? can't see too good, Sean. Is that Superman jumping over tall buildings in a single bound? <laughs> or is that Kale jumping to conclusions? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That was crazy. Um, that was the hottest take. Yikes. I don't agree with that. Um, I, I don't know, man. I think you don't hear I, you don't hear that from the way that was described. I no, don't. because because the Joker is a psycho, right? And so are those kids. But I think. Oh, that, but it's a cautionary tale. 
Well, yeah, like a cautionary tale, but we don't know. We don't know like a ca- caution of what, right? Like, I think, I think the Joker's origin, like if they go with what we know his origin is, is a sad story. You know, it is. It is like, man, that's that sucks. You know, it sucks that his life went that way, but it doesn't Ugh, certainly not. Don't justify. be poor. <laughs> yes, that. I mean, hey. If it's a cautionary could, tale. If you could That's caution fair. someone, any one thing, what would it be? You know, don't be poor, be rich. It's pretty choose. high, yeah. That's pretty high on the list. I give you that. Yeah. Um, I I did want to read some of uh, Joaquin Phoenix's words on this because he he explains why he took the role. Uh, this is his first comic book film role, and uh, he sort of dives into why he's choosing to jump into this now am, am i wrong about that Gail? i feel like you are but i i can't no this is his first comic book is it? he almost did doctor strange yeah i know that but i feel like he did something else but i, I maybe yeah maybe he didn't maybe i can't remember because it didn't happen uh so he said i take a lot of time and consideration when making decisions and what i'm going to work on So, in some ways, the process, which is obviously reading a script and meeting a filmmaker and then continuing to have meetings and discussions with Todd, uh, Todd Phillips. I think he's very impressive and he seems to have a very interesting understanding of this world and what he's trying to say. And so there is something very appealing about that and working with him on this particular project. It feels unique. It is its own world in some ways. And maybe mostly it scares the fucking shit out of me or something. It might as well be the thing that scares you the most. So, yeah, I don't know. Make of that what you will. I already have that's, things. It's, <laughs> it's, it's it's always the classic bullshit line that actors say when they talk about playing the Joker. Oh, I'm scared of it. It's going to change me. I will say this, though. I, I think Joaquin Phoenix is the best actor in Hollywood. Um... Especially since Daniel Day-Lewis just retired. Um, His work, and specifically like Paul Thomas Anderson films, like The Master, Inherent Vice, or movies like um, I'm Still Here, Her, Gladiator, um, he is a really good actor. And he's someone that gets real... He's really good at getting... A lot out of a performance, I think. Um, and he is really selective about what he does. Um, he chose not to do Doctor Strange. There was that account where he went to a comic book store and bought like just a massive stack of Doctor Strange books and he ended up turning it down. Um, so for this to grab him leaves me wondering there must be something to it. And what I was thinking about with Scorsese specifically, and I, I mean, he might not be a task producer anymore, but Scorsese directed uh, Goodfellas and Casino, which are two of the best mob films of all time. And I've, in my mind, if you're going to do a Joker movie, it should be very mafia-based. That's like the way you tell that story, I think. You don't make Joker relatable or likable, because in Casino and Goodfellas, those characters aren't likable and they're not relatable. They're interesting. They're compelling. And I think that's what you have to do for a Joker movie. You have to make it compelling, not relatable. Because how do you relate to the Joker? That kind of defeats the whole purpose. It's an origin movie. So it's telling us how he becomes the Joker. Not like, 
it's not a movie about the Joker in that way, you know. <sighs> we'll see. Could be good. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny because you named off all those Joaquin Phoenix movies, and if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been able to name a single movie he's been in. Uh, so it's interesting that you say he's the greatest actor in Hollywood. I have no idea what he what he's done. I've seen I, Gladiator, but I, I would have said her, and then I would have really had to think about it. Oh, he's he's really good. Um, I don't know what to say. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's not to discount that he was good in Gladiator. He was really good in her. I mean, there was a lot of really nuanced performance in that. Um, and Gladiator was before he really, I think, found his 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 real niche as an actor because that was two thousand, and I think he really came out because he also did uh, Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash movie in two thousand four or five, oh, and that yeah, was a good right. movie too. He was nominated for an Academy Award, but like, I really think he really found his his. It's like Marlon Brando, and that's an unfair comparison because for a lot of people, he's the greatest actor of all time. I'm not saying that he is, but for a lot of people, he is. Uh, Brando did a lot of really good movies when he was a young actor, like uh, along the, the the river, the the, the waterfront, um, uh, uh, Streetcar Named Desire, uh, The Wild Ones. But he's really remembered for his later roles, like um, The Godfather and Superman and, and stuff like that. Um, and so, for me, within the context of Joaquin Phoenix, he, he obviously did really good films uh, twenty years ago. But he really found his 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 acting. Like he went to another level, I think, in the last nine years or so, and he's been putting out incredible films as as an actor, at least. I I think the movie's probably gonna be good, you know. Like, sure. Do I care? No, no. I'm more interested than I have been. I'll put it that way. Good. I'm glad I, someone is. Yeah, I took Scor- Scorsese's name off it. I'm I'm not interested anymore. Well, I I should say. I'm not. I'm not positive about that. Uh, but if he's not like my my under, my understanding, and this is probably flawed and incorrect, but my understanding was that he was like directing, um, and so that that picture in my mind is, you know, that's what I'm interested in. Oh, and also I just don't i I don't care about a Joker origin movie. I just don't. I'm tired of the Joker the same way I'm tired of Scarlett Johansson. Now, that's a role I would see Scarlett Johansson in. The Joker? That's right. That would be an interesting... Her as the Joker? Yeah. That would be an interesting uh, film. I'd uh, go see that. Kelly, you're so damaged. Yeah. Daddy's a little monster right here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, for our main topic this week, I wanted to have a conversation surrounding the release of Batman number 50 last week uh there was a lot of spoiling going on with that book uh DC teamed up with New York Times to basically spoil the the end of the book uh and just give away completely uh how it wrapped and that pissed off a lot of people uh specifically uh, writer James Ferguson at ComicCon.com, uh, he, he wrote a, an article that I thought was really good about this very issue, and it was titled, Why Does the Comics Medium Have Such Low Self-Esteem? Uh, now, th- this, this kind of thing happens all the time. Uh, the big two have a tendency to uh, 
jump in and with some you know outlet, whether it's the New York Times or you know Entertainment Weekly or whoever it is, uh, chasing affirmation for mainstream media and audiences. Um, and these outlets don't even ever cover comics for the most part, and it's all done because they want to chase that elusive new reader, that unactivated reader that they believe will see the right headline from the right publication at the right time that's going to cause them to seek out their local comic book store and start buying comics. Uh, And that's fine, I guess. Uh, But at what cost is my question. Uh, are, Are diehard comic book fans the outcasts of the comic book medium? Are those of us who read comics on a regular basis, who are activated readers, the redheaded stepchildren in the minds of the big two? These things only hurt us, right? In the sense that you wake up in the morning and you open your paper and you're a reader of Batman and you see uh, the the outcome of, of this major event spoiled rotten for you. Uh, does that cause you to be excited to continue reading the book, or do you drop it? There were lots of people who said they were dropping Batman as a result of this. And so I, I, I want to have just a, a conversation about that um, and uh, just kind of talk about how we feel about this this issue in comics. I think it's, I, I, I think it's hard to say that they're the... Uh, that you know, the people reading Batman were the only victims here. Because uh, my understanding was that the creators also didn't know this was happening. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and uh, to me, I don't, I don't see comics as having a self-esteem problem. I see the big two having a self-esteem problem. Granted, they are as you know, we've said many times on the show, quite a big percentage of comics that's changing. You know, you don't see Image doing this. You don't see Dark Horse doing this. They, you know, they have their own missteps for sure, but they're not. They're not walking around spoiling their own creator's story. You know. The argument could be made though that no one cares. I, that, that, I mean, then what's the, the New point? York Times isn't necessarily looking for the spoiler to how Lazarus. Well, yeah, well, but that's 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 what I mean. It's it's Marvel and DC who, at the end of the day, are you know men running around in suits, you know, who don't give a shit about the story and don't give a shit about the creative energies and and juices that are put out into the world by this story and they'll sell it they'll sell it to your mom for fucking just to get just to get her to pick up one issue just to get that extra 3.99 they don't give a fuck about the story but you know, whereas, and and I'm not saying that Image and Dark Horse and the other companies don't have that or have elements of that uh, Boom has taken a big hit recently from creators kind of sort of uh, coming out and saying that they've been real shit on by suits at Boom. Um, but DC and Marvel are the ones that 
are the face of the industry. And the suits behind that are the ones setting a real bad example. Um, I think at the end of the day, there's truth in that. I, I, I feel like DC and Marvel have that sort of WWE mentality in the sense that they assume they have the diehards by the balls and they'll keep buying and they'll keep buying. And their real mission statement is to attract new readers or lapsed readers as much as possible. Um, and they figure, even if you don't like what you're reading, you'll come back and buy it. Case in point, how many people didn't like Bendis' Man of Steel run and went and bought Man of Steel, uh, bought Superman number one? A lot of people liked it, though. A lot of people liked Man of Steel. That's true. I'm not, I'm not taking away from that, but it's more of the point of people that don't like something and they still buy it and read it anyway. Case in point, Sean. Well, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Who's uh, on trial now? I, I mean, hey, you got to give a guy. It's a new number one, right? You know, come on. Got to give him a shot. Listen, I, I'm just saying that's a thing you do. And you've gone on record several times saying, listen, I'm going to hate it, but I'm going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, that's, I think that's the way um, the top... The people above even the publishers think at these companies, whether it's Time Warner or Disney. Um, I think they acknowledge there's a certain percentage of their monthly revenue share of people who are just going to buy regardless of what they put out. It doesn't matter how good or bad it is. And they'll complain and they'll complain, but they'll still buy it. I don't know, man. Uh, I think this is one of the worst practices over at the big two it's very it's bothered me since they showed that cap died in captain america what was it 25 uh it's i since i was 18 years old this has been sticking in my craw that they do this because it's like it'd be the equivalent of like um and this would never happen but it'd be the equivalent of the ending of game of thrones HBO teams with the New York Times to spoil the end of Game of Thrones on Friday when the episode airs on Saturday. That well, would never. That, that, yeah, that's the thing. Television is a respected medium. Yeah, but but then but then like even comics, right? Comic book films they don't do this. The ending of Infinity War was a tightly kept secret. But it's a film, right? Based on a comic book, right? And so it's 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 really troubling that that the big two. And to be honest with you, I think if Dark Horse or Image or Boom or whoever were in the the seat of power, they would do the same crap. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it's not really about the name on the header; it's about the people behind the scenes. And you know, the the people don't change. Um, and so. It's sad because at the end of the day, we, the comic book fans, are the ones who who make it so that these books can exist, right? Because we buy them. But then it seems like, like, for example, I just talked to you guys about the paper, right? DC's new paper and how I hate it. Um, that's happening because they're putting more books in Walmart and that's causing them to need to save money. 
Why are they putting books in Walmart? Because they want more people to read comics. So the attempt at getting new readers is hurting my experience as a comic book fan. And so I can either drop the book or buy it digitally, which is forcing me to reinvent the wheel as far as how I personally read comics. And it's only because they want to find some new reader. And quite frankly, there's no guarantee that that's going to work. Because is Walmart stocking uh, Superman number one? Or are they only stocking the Walmart uh, big comics? I don't know. I have no idea. But if they're not stocking Superman number one, it doesn't make a damn difference anyway. Because they don't know where to go to buy a comic book. And at the very least, if you're going to spoil Batman number 50... In the New York Times article, you better tell people where they can go buy a comic. Because if you're not doing that, there's a waste of time. Uh, but when you look at when you look at like for example, Crowded, right? We've talked about Crowded uh, by Sabella um, and and Ted Brandt and Rostein. This is a, a comic book that's being made into a movie. The comic hasn't even come out yet, and the promotion for the comic has been trash. The promotion for the comic has been Sabella, Ted, and Roe pub- publicizing stuff on their Twitter pages. But when, when it's announced that a movie is coming out, now it's everywhere. Now it's on Deadline, now it's on The Hollywood Reporter, now it's all over the place. All Chris and them can do is their best, which is to get it out on their social media pages. But what are the what what is the publisher doing to really get this book out there? Nothing. I don't care. I don't know if that's the best example. I think the Image Expo is a especially now uh, a huge tank of ideas that do get promoted. Um I I mean I I would go as far as to say the uh name any marvel comic and like you're on point 100 percent. i think i do genuinely think i mean image could certainly do better uh i i I think crowded is is uh, a a bad example of that i mean i haven't seen the book anywhere (laughs) uh yeah i I mean your general point is is taken for sure but like i said i think those the image expo books you know that gets covered in a lot of places, uh, you know, more so than just in the comics community. <clears throat> and I think especially around the time of San Diego, um, no, you know what? I'm just being nitpicky. Fuck that. Never mind. Your, your point, I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, your point, your point absolutely stands. Wow. Wow. What a turnaround. Yeah. I've never seen Kale do that. Before. Hey, that was listen, incredible. Kale Ward knows he's wrong. He'll apologize. <laughs> All right. That's a Danny Rand guarantee. You son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. This is, this is something that sticks in my craw. How do you change something like this? Yeah, I think um, I think that it's, it's sort of a problem of perception. The way that comic books are perceived is that they're for kids and that they're, you know, silly and stupid. And I don't really know that, you know, telling people the outcome of a book is the way to fix that problem. I mean, if you could sit with the New York Times and get them to interview Tom King, who wrote the thing, 
and yeah. not spoil it, yeah. but get his ideas and his vision about why he's doing what he's doing and you know what his run has been about and stuff like that. I think if people could understand where he's coming from uh, and see that there's a lot of thought that goes into what he does, they would understand that these aren't just funny books, that there's real that there's a really talented writer behind what's happening. Um, that's one way, you know, if you're talking about getting with these publications or maybe screw those publications because if they're not willing to cover the Tom King interview, then why should we give them the exclusive as to how the book ends? You know? Yeah. Oh, it's all completely fair and relevant. So you think it's all just perception? Yeah, I think I think um, so. The writer of the of the article at ComicCon.com he makes a point that there's no reason why comic books are well, comic book characters are on top of the world. They're more popular, more recognizable than ever in history. They star in movies that make millions and millions and millions of dollars. And you know, like uh, a new story just came out that Gal Gadot went to a hospital, children's hospital, as Wonder Woman, and everybody there was so excited to have that happen. I, I, I think I think vis- the visibility of comic book characters and the awareness, everyone there knew who she was, you know, the awareness of these characters is, is higher than ever. So why is it that the medium that they come from is struggling to survive? The whole thing, right? Like, not just the big two, uh, everybody. Even if you could say Image is doing well. Okay, they're doing well for Image. You know, they're not doing well in comparison to anything else. So, what, like, why is that the case? And to me, a big reason for that is the perception. You know, it, it looks bad when you come out of nowhere and you go, hey, uh, this is what's going to happen at the end of our... At the end of our book, come read it, please. We beg you. Yeah, you don't see that for other things. You don't see that for books. The you know you leak the big, uh, the big spoiler of it. Ditto with movies or TV shows. I also, yeah, I think it's also, and also, it's also an issue of of advertising. You know, a lot of the questions people get, you know, when they talk about comics, oh. Uh, or when they, uh, you know, when like creators are approached by, uh, you know, sort of non-comics regulars at conventions and stuff is, you know, oh, comics, they still make those? Which is baffling. Uh, so I think, you know, there's an advertising problem for sure. But it's a, it's also like, I don't know, this is probably a dumb question, but it's also like, how do you advertise a newspaper, you know, which is also a dying industry? Uh, I don't know. I guess you would do it more like a book, you know, because that's what it is. But there are commercials for books. Like, I've seen those and like, you know, put a fucking Batman picture on a fucking bus stop. Like, yeah, that that's a great point uh, with with books, right? There's no people know what books are. They know where to find books. You you know the different genres of books. You understand all that. With comics, uh, let's say you let's say you know what they are. You know that they exist. You don't know that there's anything other than superhero books. 
you don't know that within superhero books there are other kinds of genres that, that they pull from. You don't know that there's something called image where they tell stories of, of all of all sorts. You know, um, the awareness of it is not there in that same way. Books, the, 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 the medium of books, right, sells itself because if you're a book person, then you're a book person. Uh, if you watch a commercial for a book and you're not a book person, but the, but the book seems interesting, you might say, wow, I, I, I want to read that. That's kind of cool, you know? Um, but there's a stigma attached to comics, and there's also the fact that if you don't read comics already, you don't even know where to get them, let alone do you know the kinds of stories that exist. Hey, you like science fiction? There are a million science fiction comic books. You don't need to read traditional books only to get your science fiction fair you can get it from comics and it looks cool but the, but we don't say that no one says that when you read interviews from like for example marvel editors or the editor-in-chief they don't promote comics they promote marvel comics and that's bad in my opinion in my opinion it's best if the whole of the comic book industry is thriving Marvel and DC should not compete with each other. And they should certainly not compete with Image. If anything, they should be promoting Image. Like, hey, we what we publish is great. It's fantastic. And if you love superheroes, this is, you know, for you. But if you don't, there's also this. Because comics are more than this. Comics are more than just what we even publish. And it's not to denigrate superheroes. It's to say that if you read... Lazarus, or if you read, you know, stuff that Rick Remender publishes or whatever, there's a chance you might also want to read superhero stuff. Look at Marco. This kid hated superheroes and then found his way in, you know? But he started elsewhere. And there are people like that. Yeah, absolutely. And do you, do you, do you think promoting the company as the brand is best for business promoting Marvel or DC as opposed to promoting Spider-Man or Batman or Superman is what's best for the long-term growth of these, of these comic book businesses. That's a tough one. I think, uh, I think it's probably easier to sell someone like, for example, I have no clue who published Harry Potter. I don't know. And I don't care. Uh, but I know that I care about Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, so if you said, yeah, uh, there's this new Batman book out, and it's great. Um, and that was the that was what was focused on, because uh, you could sell somebody on Batman. We know you can, but it's a lot harder to sell somebody on the whole of DC, where you look at a picture and it's like fifty thousand characters. You're like, who the hell are these are people? I only recognize like seven, right? Yeah, I've been I've been rewatching some old Adventures of Superman episodes from the 1950s. And the closing credits, it doesn't say DC Comics or anything. It says, Superman appears in Action Comics and Superman magazines. He's, he's promoting the book rather than the publisher. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's I think a lot, of the, a lot of the industry is still stuck in the mindset of the, the 90s. Or, in, at the very least, is still stuck trying to recover from the comics crash of the of the 90s you know if it weren't for bendis and like the revival of marvel we might have lost marvel and we might have lost comics um 
and I mean, that was only a couple of years ago, you know? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about something that took place like 20 years ago, and that sounds like a lot of time, but it's really not. Um, especially when it seems as though the people who are driving the ship didn't learn from the mistakes that caused yeah. that in the first place. Yeah, or in <laughs> or in the case of a company that shall not be named uh, for reasons that cannot be discussed, uh, are new in the game and um, are shitty. I have no idea who you're talking about. Can- couldn't fathom. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> well, <laughs> in any event, I, I, I guess I don't really know ultimately what the solution is. There, we've you know we've talked about similar subjects a lot on this show, but I think the the biggest thing for me is feeling as if when these things happen, these cool events, which you don't get all the time, you know. Um, the wedding of Batman or whatever. Um, it feels like it's not a time for celebration within the community. It's a time for reaching out to get everybody else to look and see how cool we are. Uh, and not us, not the fans, the publishers. We're not cool. Um, and reading comics growing up was never a thing about being cool. It was actually not cool, right? And so it's weird that... Let's get real. It's still not. (laughs) Well, yeah, but like comic book characters weren't even cool, you know? And it's weird that this thing that was for the kids who sat at the not cool table, it'd be like sitting at that table and being not cool and uh, having someone that's there go, hey, look at this great thing we have over here when nobody likes us. No one in the school likes us. But we've got something cool. So they all come to see what it is, but we get kicked off the table and they take it over. It's kind of what it feels like. And when you go to Comic-Con, you know, I feel that way. Um, and uh, I don't know. It just it just doesn't feel so good to be a comic book fan when things like this happen. Yeah. And it, it there's still a little bit of a marginalization, I think, toward comic book fans, even though it's more in the zeitgeist than ever. Um, how many people that enjoy the pop culture aspect of comic books actually read comic books. There's still a bit of a, a connotation attached for sure. And I think the publishers are aware of that. I think they're aware of the fact that uh, the nerds will keep on buying, as it were. Well, we'll see how long that lasts. So I'm very interested to hear what you guys at home think about this. Uh, does it bother you? Do you care when the big two pull stunts like this? Uh, does it sour your experience on reading a book when you already know the outcome? Uh, James Gunn said something really interesting recently on Twitter. He said that uh, if a story is, if, if it's possible to spoil a story in a way that takes away from the quality of it, then it's a bad story. That a good story is a story uh, who works independent of its big moments because everything else about it works so well. Uh, and I think that there's probably some truth to that. Um, Batman didn't work for me, but I know it worked for a lot of other people. And I don't know that knowing the outcome necessarily ruins what happens, if it works for you. 
Uh, but in any event, you can let us know your thoughts about that um, by getting to us in a myriad of ways. Uh, you can hit us up on Apple Podcasts or uh, where else are we? We're everywhere, right? <laughs> uh, we're all over the place. You can get us anywhere you want to get us. Uh, we are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz, at the Comics Pals. You can write to us with your thoughts about this or any other episode of the show by writing in at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. And last but certainly not least, we are on YouTube, where if you're checking us out over there, thank you for doing so. Uh, you can leave us a like. Drop us a comment, share the video with your friends, and of course, be sure to subscribe because it helps us out a lot. And hit the notification bell just so that you get aware of when we drop our content so that you don't miss out because uh, why would you want to? Uh, before we jump, uh, we've got a couple of plugs. I want to make sure you guys are aware of Mouse. We did a Mouse book club recently that was really good stuff, and I think if you... Uh, have read that book you might want to hear our takes i think we we have a, a unique discussion about that uh for me it was my first time reading it and uh, i was very impacted so i think it's probably our best book club and it's very much worth checking out if you haven't done so absolutely yeah if you're if you're stressed out about the political climate hopefully you can listen to this and 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 get a little glimmer of hope out of it or feel more stressed. <laughs> I feel or, more stressed. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, everyone's different. And then also, uh, our book club for this month is going to be focused around Batman Gothic. So, uh, you can read that book and then hit us up at the end of the month when we uh, when we drop that for you guys. I believe we're dropping it, what, the 27th? Something like that? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, a couple weeks from now. Uh, but with that, let's do some plugs. Kale. <clears throat> Uh, you can find Pete at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Um, he also hosts the uh, Comics Pals weekly video game show, The Video Game Pals, uh, with Sean Thompson and Andy, uh, as well as Pals Play, where it's our uh, Let's Play series with uh, Pete and Thompson, where they play uh, whatever the fuck. He does a lot um, of stuff. I think right now they're playing the Adventures of Captain Spirit, which is the the life is game to Life is Strange. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and we have heard a lot of really good stuff from that, and there's been a lot of really good uh, reactions to that. Unless I'm thinking of something else, but um, yeah, please, uh, please go watch that and make us YouTube famous. Uh, we are hungry. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Um, you can find my uh, books with Panels Publishing on Comicsology and uh, uh, our selfie store, uh, selfie.com slash Panels Publishing, and under uh, Panels Publishing on Comicsology. And uh, well, that's it for me. Phil? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Marco's plugs. I received a trans-dimensional email from Earth to Marco where he asked me to ask our listeners that if you are interested and or capable to send your art of Earth to Marco uh, making out with Earth 1 Marco to Mr. Marco Animoto on Twitter and Instagram. That was his request, not mine. Apparently... 
uh, Marcos across all space and time are attracted to one another in a linear kind of way. As for me, you can find me on all social media platforms at Cyborg Bebop. Where was that again? That was Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. I'm hosting Gothic this month, so you'll have to stop by and check that out because it'll be okay. And you like okay. <laughs> uh, and I'm at Sean Soapbox on Twitter and Instagram, where we can talk about uh, what it feels like to be the redheaded stepchild of uh, the comic book community. Everything. I mean, like, well, yeah. To be the Danny Rand. <laughs> to be the Kale Ward. That's right. Nailed it. Yep. And with that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening. I was confusing Sasha Gray with Sasha Banks. That's why I... <laughs> I figured...